This morning, I want to ask um, one question. Why? That's the question I want to ask this morning. Why? And I think why is a fantastic question. Um, you know, it's a question that can bring us face to face with some of the biggest subjects that there are. You know, why are we here? Um, why am I the way I am? Um, why are the McFlurry machines always broken? Uh, seriously, like, have you realised that? Maybe we should do like a prayer and fasting night for the McFlurry machines or something like that. I don't know. But um, why is a fantastic question, I mean, and it's a question that we all ask at various um, different levels and about different things. Um, and if you've heard me speak before, you'll know that I like um, I like a bit of a Google. Um, so um, in preparation for this, I actually looked up um, what the most Googled why questions are, um, just in an attempt to get a sense of like you know what people are asking, just the level of sheer curiosity that's out there. Um, and so uh, here are some of my favourites. The first one, uh, this is actually the top one, why is there a leap day? Everybody's really interested in that. Um, I think that's quite boring, so we'll move on from that one. Um, the third most asked, um, why are you always lying? I have no idea what that is. It's probably a reference to something, I imagine, but that's passed me by. Um, number six um, of all time, why are cats afraid of cucumbers? <laughs> you seen those videos? They're amazing. Look that up if you haven't seen that. Cats are terrified of cucumbers. And actually, number eight, um, why are cats scared of cucumbers? So, big topic on people's minds, however you word it. Loads of people asking about cats and cucumbers. But my absolute favourite that I found, and it's the number four on the list, why is my poop green? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but you didn't expect that when you came to church this morning. Um, and if that's you, go to the GP, don't Google that. Um, <laughs> but genuinely, I think why is um, a really, really helpful question to ask. And you know, um, over the last few weeks, if you've been around, we've been in, uh, having these sort of one-off um, talks rather than a teaching series, just before we launch into the new one in autumn. Um, and I don't know about you, but I've just found it so helpful to kind of take a look um, at kind of real foundations of what it means to follow the way of Jesus, to live the way of the kingdom, as Tom showed us a couple of weeks back, and then um, to rely on grace for everything, as Catherine shared with us last week. And so really what I want to do this morning um, is just continue at that kind of really foundational level and ask the question behind it all. Why? Why live the way of Jesus in the first place? Why bother? Um, why be with Jesus, become like Jesus, do what Jesus did, as we so often say here? All the stuff that we talk about, all the stuff that we do, the renewal of the city, all of it, why? Why any of it? You up for that? Yes. All right, cool. Um, okay, so I'll just lay it out for us right at the start so we know where we're going, okay? Um, and then we'll pick it apart and take a look at it. Okay, so here's the answer that I see it, um, as I see it from Scripture. Um, what's the ultimate why behind the way of Jesus? Four words, and these are the four words to remember for this morning, okay? The glory of God, okay? The glory of God is the answer to the why behind everything we do. It always has been, it always will be. Beginning, middle, and end, as we're going to see, it's all about His glory, the glory of God. Got the premise? Okay, cool. Uh, so maybe at this point you're thinking, what even is the glory of God? Confusing term, don't know. We'll get to that, um, but just stick with me for a while. Um, before we get there, is that in the Bible? Or have I just made that up? Um, Jesus cared a lot about the Bible. Um, he quoted scripture all the time. He had it memorized from an early age. And we're following the way of Jesus. Um, so it's an important question for us. Is it in the Bible? Um, 
if it's not, you can ignore me. Um, but if it is, then we've got something to work with. So we'll just dive in at that level, okay? Um, so stick with, we're going to move quite quickly across a lot of scripture here. So if you've got your Bible, you might want to just look at the screen because we're going to move very, very fast. Um, so we'll start at the beginning. First page of the Bible, um, Genesis 1, verse 26. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Quite famous verses to many of us, and and they're absolutely foundational for an understanding of who we are and why we're here. You could do an entire talk series just on these verses. Um, uh, But for us today, they're, they're really insightful because they show us that we were created to reflect something of God, right? To be in his image, to be like him. That's what it says, we're made in God's image, right? Well then, for me, the next question is, what is God like? If we're meant to reflect him, what is God like? Well, glorious. Psalm 96, one of my absolute favorites, and one of many psalms that describe who God is and what he's like. Psalm 96, verse one. Sing to the Lord a new song. Worship pastor, you can see why I like the psalm. Sing to the Lord, all the earth. Sing to the Lord, praise his name. Proclaim his salvation day after day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous deeds among all peoples. For great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. He is to be feared above all gods, for all the gods of the nations are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and glory are in his sanctuary. So God is glorious, beautiful, full of majesty and splendor. And you know, that's what glory really is. We asked at the beginning. Sometimes we do get a bit bogged down with that term, but um, I want to suggest that at its root, I think we all know what glory is. You know, we we look out at a mountain range, and we think, wow, glory. We look at the stars in the night sky, and we marvel at them. So we, we know it when we see glory, right? If you did want a definition, um, here's my favorite from one writer. The glory of God is the infinite beauty and greatness of God's manifold perfections. The infinite beauty and greatness of God's manifold perfections. It's the idea that there's so many things that are perfect about God, you know, um, and they're all amazing. And glory is all of them condensed down into one word. And so here's the point. We are made in his image to represent him and what he's like, to rule over creation as ambassadors of his glory in his image, to reflect him, image him. And so I wonder this morning, do you know that that's who you are? You know, self-esteem is a real issue in our society, but do you know that that's who you are this morning? You are marked with glory. It's like it's in your DNA. There's glory in our bones, you could say, because we're made in the image of a glorious God. And actually, 
the whole of creation itself is made for this very same purpose. Another psalm, Psalm 19, verse one. The heavens, that's creation, declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Or a bit later on, uh, in the New Testament, when the Apostle Paul's writing to the the church in Rome, um, Romans 1, verse 19, what may be known about God is plain to them. That's us. Because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, what he's like, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made. So all of creation is screaming glory at us. The glorious God in his kindness has shared his glory with us in creation. And like I said, we see it all around us from mountain peaks and panoramic views and vast oceans. And um, I don't know if you saw those images of that new telescope of, you know, the galaxies, light years worth of galaxies. And that's only a small speck of what's actually out there, right down to minuscule ecosystems and microcellular biology. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the works of his hands. So we are created for his glory, beginning. And yet, the tragic story of our human race is one of exchanged glory. Exchanged glory. Because, you see, not long after they're given their task of imaging God's glory to the world, those very first humans choose to pursue glory on their own terms. There's this snake in the garden who comes and says, you want to be like God? You want to be glorious? The irony, of course, being that they already were, as we've just seen. You want to be glorious? Go on then. Go get it for yourself. Don't listen to God. You know best. And from that moment onward, the story of humanity becomes a pursuit of glory by our own means, a pursuit of glory entirely removed from the source of glory, namely God. Or as, again, Paul puts it in Romans, just after that bit we read, although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal human beings and birds and animals and reptiles. Or in our modern context, you could read um, success, money, beauty and all the other things that we worship. Verse 25, they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. Tough reading, that is. And this is at the heart of what scripture calls sin, an exchange of glory, turning from the creator who is forever praised and worshiping the creator. Can you see the distortion there, the almost irony of it, that God creates all things to reflect his glory, to show us him, and we turn the reflection into a God of our own making. It's sort of like turning your back on Mount Everest itself because we've drawn a little picture that we think is better. The real thing is right there, the thing the picture is meant to represent, but we're so obsessed with our glorious little picture that we walk away from the real deal. Exchanged glory. It's okay to just sit with the discomfort of that. But, 
God's glory will not be outshone. 2 Corinthians 4, this is Paul again in the New Testament, slightly later on, writing to a different church. Chapter 4, verse 6. And if you want a passage to look at and just live in for the next couple of weeks, 2 Corinthians 3 and 4, the end of 3, beginning of 4. Unbelievable stuff. Um, 2 Corinthians 4, verse 6. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, riffing on Genesis there, let there be light, has made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. Okay, lots of language there, but Paul is talking about salvation here, right? About what happens to a person when they turn to follow Jesus. And he's saying that although we turned away and we sought glory on our own terms, God, whose glory broke out into creation on the first page of the Bible with the words, let there be light, has burst into his creation once more as the word, Jesus. The radiance of God's glory, as it says in Hebrews, revealing, shining, radiating true glory that is unquenchable and greater than anything we've ever known. And in his kindness, he invites us to turn from our cheap knockoff imitations and come and see the true God as he is. Glorious. You know, if you're here a little while back, Tristan really helpfully laid this out. Um, that to share the good news of Jesus is exactly that. It's to say, come and see. Come and see Jesus in his beauty, his glory. It's like the defining phrase behind um, all evangelism. Come and see. He has made his light shine in our hearts. Why? To give us the light of the knowledge of what? God's glory in the face of Christ. This is the absolute heart of what the gospel is. It is the revelation of the all-surpassing glory of God as revealed in Jesus and to turn and worship him for who he is. It's to come to the knowledge that there is no one like him, that nothing comes close, that he's far and above all things. All glory is to be ultimately found in him. All things are made for him. He is the glorious God, the creator who is forever praised. The gospel is the glory of God. And I know just looking at, there's a few people um, here this morning uh, who I know are here because um, they, uh, they did something called Alpha. Um, Alpha is a place to ask life's big questions like why uh, and explore the Christian faith. faith. Um, and you know, I'd recommend it to anybody. We bang on about it all the time here. But um, honestly, I'd recommend it. I've done it multiple times. Um, uh, but it's because we genuinely believe in it. Um, and you know, maybe sometimes if you've been around a bit, um, you've seen that occasionally we get people up here to share their testimonies off of Alpha um, if they started following Jesus. Um, and I wonder if you noticed, um, we always ask them a question. Um, what difference has Jesus made in your life? And you notice the phrasing there. What difference has Jesus made in your life? Not what difference has Alpha made in your life? Because he is what Alpha is all about. Alpha's great, you should all do it. But people don't come to faith ultimately because of Alpha. People come to faith because Alpha shows them who Jesus is, because the glory of God has broken into their lives in the person of Jesus, and he's so totally unmatchable and without comparison to anyone or anything they've ever experienced that they want to give their lives to getting more of him. 
The glory of God wins people. It's what we're made for. It's what we're saved for. Another writer in the New Testament, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us and we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father. Created for the glory of God, beginning. Saved for the glory of God, middle. Destined for the glory of God, end. We, we began at the beginning of the story of scripture in a garden where God's glory was. And if we turn to its end, to this vision, this revelation of where everything is headed, we find a second garden. A garden rich with imagery of trees and rivers that are meant to remind us of where we started. And then amongst that garden, a city. Revelation 21 verse one. Then I saw, this is John writing, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And there was no longer any sea for some reason. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning, or crying, or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. We could just linger there, in that for a bit. Verse 10, he carried me away in the spirit to a mountain, great and high, and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. Here we go. It shone with the glory of God. Its brilliance was like that of a very precious jewel, like jasper, clear as crystal. Again, jumping on verse 22, I did not see a temple in the city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb, that's Jesus, are its temple. And then get this, the city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it. It doesn't need the sun, why? For the glory of God gives it light and the Lamb, Jesus, is its lamp. This is where everything is headed. Recreation, a renewed Eden, a reversal of the fallen human condition, constantly seeking glory by our own means, placed in a city saturated with the glory of God all around us. And who is there at its source? God himself, the Lamb, Jesus, still shining in glory, brighter than the sun, Remember we read uh, in 2 Corinthians about the glory of God shining in the face of Christ? Well, here John picks that up again in full technicolor. The light of God's glory is so bright that it makes the very sun itself obsolete. A city where his goodness, his beauty, his glory shines for all to see and where Christ himself is magnified and worshipped and adored above all else. This is where we are headed if we're following Jesus. The old way gone. No more exchange glory, just full-bodied, wholehearted worship of the creator God in all his majesty. Destined for the glory of God. Beginning, middle, and end. So I present before you, it's in the Bible. 
the glory of God, beginning, middle, and end. Everything is about him, his beauty, his magnificence. It's, it's the why behind everything he does, and by extension, everything that we do, the glory of God. You know, this week I, um, I ran this talk past my wife, Meg, um, for a quick once-over and any feedback that she might have. Um, she's really great for that because I know she'll tell me exactly as it is. <laughs> um, but you know what she said once I kind of finished and got to this point? Um, she said, I found it quite jarring. And I thought, oh, wow, thank you so much, my love. It's such an encouragement. That's exactly what I was going for. Jarring, um, fantastic. Um, she actually did say loads more than just that, and it was, it was generally super helpful. But that lingered with me, the jarring thing. Um, and I kind of asked a little bit more. She explained, and she said, I found it jarring because you just spoke about God for like 20, 25 minutes. And we live in a culture that's obsessed with ourselves, right? And I thought, oh, oh yeah. That's exactly right. We, and we've even looked at it before in the last couple of weeks. And we, li- we live in a culture that's completely self-obsessed. She's right. You do you. Live your truth. Live your best life. Your, your answer to your problems lies within your, inside yourself, right? And, and Catherine even touched on it last week. We're obsessed with kind of earning our way based on what we do, right? Um, we're self-obsessed. And so when we open our Bibles and we see that from cover to cover, beginning, middle, and end, it's always been about someone else, maybe that's jarring. And in some ways, I want to suggest that that jarring feeling is actually helpful because it can expose where we've given in to the culture around us and made everything about us. It can kind of wake us up from where we've accidentally fallen in line with the wrong stuff. The why behind much of our Western culture is the glory of self. The glory behind the way of Jesus is the glory of God. Which leads me on to where I want to land today. Um, If we're honest with ourselves, really honest, right now, what is our why? As a church, are we in line with the way of Jesus in pursuit of God's glory? Are we, are we tracking here or are we going off after something else? Why do we worship? Why, why do we gather here every single week and we sing and we preach and we serve on teams and we run the marketplace and alpha and tables and so much stuff and go out into the places that God's called us? Are we ultimately at the heart of everything we do going after God's glory? What is the why of St. Mary's Church. And what's the why behind each of our lives? Why do you do what you do? Because the way of Jesus is about getting as much of Jesus as possible. And so are you hungry for that? As I was thinking about what, what would I want to encourage these guys in? Are you hungry for that? Are you hungry for more of the glory of God? You know, I'm slightly going off script here, so this could go anywhere. But um, we, we do worship nights and we do Sundays and stuff and, and we pray for revival, right? Um, there's a guy called Jonathan Edwards who was a pastor and um, theologian in like the 1700s in America and he was part of something called the Great Awakening, a huge revival that broke out in America, right? And he had this phrase that he was like, 
Such was the hunger of God in the people that the streets could be lined with gold and they would walk straight past it and into the churches. It could be treasure everywhere and they'd walk past it and just go into church because they're so hungry for the glory of God. Is that, is that us? What would it look like if St. Mary's was a place where we're just so desperate to come in that door and get into worship because we want Jesus. We want more of him. We want to see more of him, experience more of him. And maybe that is you. Even just this morning, I was just caught up in worship this morning. All of us just going for it. Maybe that is you. And I want to encourage and kind of bring out more of that in you. I'm not trying to just rebuke us. But, you know, maybe, maybe you do need a bit of realigning. Maybe it's success in your career. That's the driver. Or linked to that wealth. Or beauty. Popularity. Power. I don't know what it is for you. And I don't say that as an accusation. I really don't. If anything, it's a confession. Um, When I lead worship, that's what I do. When I lead worship... I have to check myself every time I stand on this stage and genuinely ask myself, Tom, why are you getting up there? Is it because you want to look impressive? Is it because you enjoy the attention of a crowd? Even this morning I had to ask myself that. Is it because you want to earn a sense of affirmation, make a name for yourself? Or is it because you want to align yourself with the eternal purpose of God in declaring his glory and his supreme worth, to chase after him, to proclaim his beauty, and to set him before his people as worthy of praise and encourage the pursuit of him and not me? And so in, in your context, what is the why behind your life? The why behind the way of Jesus is the glory of God. So are we on board 